Between the time when wargamers played with chainmail and the rise of the wizards of the coast, there was an age of gamers. And unto this, Gygax, destined to bear the crown jewel of TSR upon a troubled brow, to show you all how to roll for initiative. The Roll for Initiative Podcast, issue number 77. I am DM Vince, sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. DM Nick. Hey, everybody. And the DM Will, also known as Bismarcky. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> How we all doing? So, what's up? What's been up? Will. Okay, really uh, not much has been going on. I've just been doing my, you know, typical gaming throughout the week and everything. Um, I've been attending some board game events on Mondays and Wednesday nights down in Seattle at some bistros. Actually having a good time with that. Uh, other projects that I'm really working on right now is these Hearst art molds. I just got the cracked floor part portion. And like uh, I think I was telling people on the site was that my main intent is to uh, floor out the entire two levels of B1 and Search of the Unknown module. And if anyone's not familiar with these these molds, they, they resemble those of the Dwarven Forge variety. And I will tell you all right now, I would recommend you going to Hearst Arts Mold and doing this stuff yourself because it's going to be a lot more cheaper than getting the Dwarven Forge stuff. So that's what I've been doing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, some people in my gaming group bought some of those molds at Gen Con a couple years ago and have been working on just creating lots of tiles and what and oh, it's cool yeah it they're really nice it's just a matter of taking the time to do it which is something i don't have because otherwise it'd be like oh there's <laughs> so much i would love to create and build especially how will is recreating b1 i've thought of recreating castle ravenloft oh boy <laughs> now that one would be definitely a challenge i can tell you that now but let me tell you this though being that you know you're talking about time yeah each mold no more than 35 minutes. You can pop them and then put the next sit in there and so on and so on. 30 oh, that's minutes. that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, just uh, do the instructions. If you follow the instructions, there's another site if anyone's ever interested. Maybe I, I'm going to start uh, showing this stuff online, and, and I'm going to put some links on there. And I'm telling you, you can't go wrong with this. This is just, you know, a hobby, and it's real easy. It's Actually, it's very inexpensive. Inexpensive. That means it's cheaper than getting the Dwarven Forge things, and it's much more lighter. Right. Yeah, the, the the biggest thing is depending on the amount of time you want to put in just the finishing touches with the painting. And that's oh, yeah. that's the, the time sink for me, actually making it uh, pretty. The molds themselves are, at, like you said, really easy because it's, I think, using like a type of dental plaster. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you now, Weird. since you brought that, <laughs> do not use dental plaster. Okay. It has it had a bad tendency to bubble. I did not use it, but I got some examples of it. Uh, the best thing to use right now, I found that it's very effective and inexpensive, is uh, uh, something called lightweight hydrocal. And I'll explain that on the site and everything. I don't want to go into depth and everything on that. But it's just, uh, uh, let me tell you, no bubbles whatsoever. And it's simple. You just need water. And uh, I already made the measuring cups and everything, so you know how much you need to use of this and how much water this. You mix it. I mean, it's quick. It, 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 you'd be shocked. Bum, bum, bum. 
<laughs> oh, sorry. And thank you, Will. What we, uh, Nick, what have you been up to? Uh, as far as the gaming situation, not much lately. Just uh, trying to uh, you know, figure out when our next date is. I think it's going to be the end of this month on the 31st. We're going to try to squeeze in a day. And I know we're going to definitely have a date uh, late in April. We're going to have for my when my friend Jeff, he gets back uh, on leave for, from Afghanistan. And we'll decide what we're going to do there. We might not do this current campaign. We might do something else. We'll see. But um, that's pretty much what's been going on. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. Yeah, I ordered my books for the the first edition AD&D reprints. I ordered them this this week. Ah, so oh. I got that all set, ready to go, and I just can't wait for them to get my grubby little hands on them <laughs> so I can start paging through everything. You mean the same stuff you've been paging through for the last 30 years? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, so... <laughs> But it'll be like crisp, brand new pages. So what? Yeah, I'm not getting them. I decided now I'm not getting them. You party pooper! <laughs> I already have the books right here on my shelf. Multiple copies of them. I don't need it. Oh, I'm gonna have multiple copies too. So there. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I may pick them up just depending on how my finances are at the time they're released. I'm not bothering pre-ordering them because as I'm like plotting out my summer convention season and just having some other unexpected uh, expenses come up, I'm like, eh, I already have the book, so these would just be, hey, look at something I have that I'll never crack open. So exactly. I may end up passing. I mean, if I see them on Amazon in about two months after they're released for half the price, yeah, I'll buy them. <laughs> well, I will tell you this though. I know that Paizo is, uh, and this is the shocker for a lot of people that Paizo itself is selling them, and uh, they're going for about four, five, six dollars cheaper. Just giving the heads up on that. It's for the books is cheaper. Wow. Yes, they are because I saw them uh, yesterday. I went on their site. They show the actual price, and if you order from them, the uh, the one was thirty five ninety five, and they're selling it for thirty one ninety five or thirty ninety five. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Uh, so I was doing my actual play podcast, which uh, recorded another episode. It's up by the time this comes out. Episodes three and four are out, and you'll hear some deaths. So uh, no surprise there. And the party went back to town. They're regrouping. They had some more additions added on to it. I added another NPC character. On. I added a samurai. So they're calling it the babysitter now. So anyway, um, so stars, Nick. All right. Well, stars this week. Uh, again, just head on out to iTunes. Look for Roll for Initiative podcast there in the search, and uh, you should be able to pull us up there. Also, you can contact us at rfistaff at gmail.com, and you can head uh, to our Facebook page because we really want to plug that. You know, type in uh, RFI podcast in Facebook search and, and like us because we want you to like us a yes. lot. Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you said that at the same time. You owe me a soda. Right. Anyway. We're at nine seventy one now, by the way. Nine hundred seventy one. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> All right. So we have one five star review today from DM Bo and says Robert. 
Who's Robert? Mm, I don't yeah. know. Robert Five Stars. Maybe that's his real name. Oh. So, so um, he writes, having not gotten into Dungeons & Dragons until 3rd edition was out, I was never exposed to 1st edition AD&D until very recently. I'd become frustrated with the over-complex rules of 3rd and 4th edition. And after hearing <laughs> your show, I had become interested in old school gaming now i have a weekly first edition game that i really enjoy Yay. although i always like third edition and pathfinder not fourth edition you guys help me appreciate the older editions keep it original keep it old school and keep up the good work well thank you dm <laughs> bo i guess aka robert so another one brings into the fold so we've actually exposed him to first edition ad and d that's awesome Yes. DM Bo. I wonder if he has Luke playing and Boss Hog and all uh, of them too. <laughs> Uncle Jesse. <laughs> Uncle Jesse. Yeah, Uncle Jesse. I can see him being the well, DM. them Duke boys are at it again. They were in the <laughs> they were in Cast Greyhawk. <laughs> Yeehaw! So that's our um start review for this week. So thank you very much, DM Bo. And uh hope to hear more from you folks soon. So That'll do it for our five for our star reviews. Okay, let's head into some sage advice. Master, master, they're at the gates again. Master, it looks like another band of adventurers. Adventurers again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice this week has been brought to you by Nick. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sage advice this week. We have a bunch of emails and a lot of voicemails, so we want to thank you out there for doing that. If you'd like to write in, RFI staff, gmail.com, or you may dial in 570-865-4210. It's the RFI hotline. Hotline. Hotline, where someone is standing by your call. Maybe. Maybe, Yeah. <laughs> You never know. Vince could pick up. <laughs> it has happened. It has happened. Uh, so just looking over quickly at Facebook, uh, someone named uh, Glenn wrote in saying Skype windows in the way. No, he didn't actually say that. I love the good work you guys are doing. I found out about you guys recently and have almost caught up while listening at work. I've played Pathfinder and third edition for years, but through your podcast, I'm willing to give advanced first edition a shot. Well, so. thanks. That's awesome. Well, we hope we're not interfering with your work. So, get in trouble Alan, with us. Yeah. <laughs> Alan writes a bunch of times how he likes our podcast and he comments on a lot of our posts, saying he especially loves Roll Aids and he had a lot of that stuff from back in the day, especially Judges Guild. Cool. Oh, yes. So, definitely comment on Facebook as we're looking to get to 1,000 likes. <laughs> and what happens then? We blow up. Oh, okay. Uh, Legend of Finfang Foom is looking for one more person. If you're interested, RFI staff at gmail.com. And let's head into our first voicemail of the night. Hey, guys. This is DM Glenn. And first of all, I love your show, long time listener, first time caller. Um, anyway, I have a question about advanced first edition. Um, I'm interested in running a game for my group. We've been running Pathfinder third edition for about 10 years off and on now. And I was wondering if you could recommend resource materials for advanced gamers. They're worried there's going to be a lot of player debt and other mishaps that are going to follow them. I want to see if I could sue them over, if you could rent any 
recommend any modules or articles, I would really appreciate or any advice in general. Thank you very much. Hope the good work. Bye. Hmm. I don't know if he's looking for something that'll wow them over module-wise. Well, I think he's looking for something. They're very nervous that they're going to have their first game and everyone's going to die. <laughs> How to... Because I guess first Welcome edition, first edition AD and D. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you almost should have them all die in the first session. Be like, just say don't get attached to these characters and be like, okay, now we got the first death out of the way. Now we can begin the real game. <laughs> well, I can tell you right now, the one module you don't want to play is Tomb of Horrors. I can yeah. tell you that now. Yeah, runs far, <laughs> very That's the far. Grinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, basically, if you want to get a module, and, I mean, we, we, we know when we talk about first edition AD&D, I mean, there's a lot of great first uh, first edition modules there. But, you know, I like going to a, a couple of the more basic ones, especially for a group that's actually getting into it for the first time. And, again, I still recommend B1 in Search of the Unknown. I think it's a perfect dungeon for that first-time group that's not familiar with the game. I think B1's a little bit rough on a first-time DM for AD&D. I think B2 would be better. I can't well, see, see, these guys are experienced now. They already played, you know, 3.0 or whatever in Pathfinder for 10 years, so I don't think the DM will have a problem with it. It's the players who are having a hard time dealing with the the more simpler mechanics. Yeah, but the story for B1 is so boring. <sighs> it's kind of just kind of there. Yeah, I, I've always was more partial to keep on the Borderlands. Me too. I, okay, well, I, they all I, die and get turned to stone by the Medusa. Oops, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> there you go. Don't. spoilers. Yes, thank you. I'm actually playing through that right now, and I've actually went through great effort not to read the module. <laughs> Good job. Fun for Matt. Yes, I, I'm... Don't you feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> but you know i think as far as other advice you know you did say something about game mechanics well and i think there's i i think when like when you do character creation look at the character creation for first edition ad and d yes here to say pathfinder okay which is much more complex pathfinder pathfinder well, it goes from uh, to Albert well, Einstein. Well, that but generally, the more complex you, uh, rules you have for creating characters, more likely the 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 rules for the whole game are much more complex. I mean, to give an example, when we were we were doing our first edition game not too long ago, we uh, we had people generating uh, characters and some people no no uh, background with first edition AD and D, um, and and they uh, they were like that's all I need is like a sheet of paper. I don't even need a real character sheet. It's like yeah, it's <laughs> all you need. And, and I said yeah. don't get too attached to this uh, character. You know your character has a pretty good chance that you know it might say bye bye. It might your character might die. It's yeah, the the mortality rate is definitely higher in the distance, oh, yeah. but it just means that you need to be a lot more on your toes. You're not relying on feats and talents and all these other things that are built into your character. You're you're yeah. a lot on your wits and not on a die roll, except it's if it's combat. 
Or so, saving throws. And saving throws. I mean, there's very few things that there aren't there aren't any real skill sets unless it's specific for your class, like for thieves or like uh, like monks or bards or something like that. Yeah. First edition does not lend it to the min-maxing of a Pathfinder or a third edition or a fourth edition. And in those games, a little bit of min-maxing is actually required just to make a somewhat effective character. In first edition, you roll your stats, you can play with just about any combination of stat values. That's right. not important. Important. It's the character and the storytelling is far more important than just the raw yes. numbers on the sheet. Yeah, if, exactly. you're, if your best stat for your character is a 13 and you throw it in strength, okay, you got a fighter. Play that fighter out. It's really cool. Some of those other, some of those other stats, like if you have a five for like intelligence, fine. You got a dumb fighter. Who cares? Play it up. That's part of the role yeah. playing experience. You don't get penalized for having low stats as much as you do in later editions. Yeah, that is definitely true. And I think it also, thinking of another analogy, I think, you know, when you compare it to like some, if not uh, characters out of books, but like in movies, some of our favorite characters out of movies are the ones who have some of the most whacked out flaws in their, in their personality and in, in their makeup. And they, and they have to somehow get past those flaws, get past those psychological quirks, if you will, to you know make themselves uh, better, to they get better at things. So I don't know. That's just my two. That's my two electrum pizzas on it. Oh, okay. We'll let it slide this. Well, time. I can tell you this though. You know, B two great module. They're going to die. Yeah. Go to B3, Palace of the Silver Princess. They'll last longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes, and there's and, no Medusas. Oops. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just put it this way. In the B2 that I'm playing through right now, we've already had two character deaths. Yay. So Only two? Only two. Well, nah, we're not that far. We're only into... Uh, we went through the first cave with the goblins, and then we went and visited the orcs. And now the party decided to split. One went to the bugbear caves. One went to the the really evil cave with the uh, owlbear in it. Nice. Oh, great. Well, the, the everyone's going to die. So you split. might start rolling up new characters. <laughs> yeah. The party has been split. I love it. Yep. That's and that's what you can learn there, my friend. Who was it? What was his name that sent this um, thing in? Uh, Never split the party what? up. Yeah. Well, we had a party of 12, so... <laughs> Splitting the okay, still so we yeah. You got an arm. Uh, let's see. We have another voicemail. Hey guys, DM Kojo here. Hey, couple things. First of all, multi-class characters. Um, I'm a little confused about level advancement. Do they have to advance uh, simultaneously in both classes? How does that work? And then also, the other question I had was. Um, Wondering if you guys could look at or talk about the Thrycreen Mantis Warriors on Monster Manual, page 119. I always thought it'd be cool to have a campaign centered around them, but never did. So, uh, like your thoughts. See you later. Bye. Hey, guys. Uh, classing. Huh? The ever popular multi classing argument. 
Oh, boy, this is always a fun one. <laughs> okay, well, then you got it, my friend. You started it. I didn't start the argument. The guy called it in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the book, you with a multi-class character, by the book, you're supposed to, whenever your experience points are given in, you're supposed to, like, if, if you're a, I don't know, let's say you're just a fighter, you're a fighter thief, okay? You're playing a half-elf fighter thief. If I remember correctly, half-elves can be fighter thieves. Yeah. Um, do you split your um, experience points 50-50? Supposed so to. You're supposed to. Unless the DM uh, assigns you certain experience for certain class. Right. Right. But I'm just like saying straight experience points for like monster kills and whatever have you. Supposedly supposed to be split, you know, evenly amongst the classes. If you're one of those people who love to play like more than two multi-class, like a fighter, magic user, thief or something like that, then you got to split it up evenly between the three classes. So 33 and a third, 33 and a third, and 33 and a third, which to me is just way too much <laughs> for me to remember. Um <laughs> But I mean that's it by the book. Yeah, I'm uh, with the, the great Joe DM. Okay, I also believe there's a mention also that the, the whichever class, whichever one levels, they can't outclass each other by so many levels either. For example, if you have enough experience points uh and you split it up, and I know that the experience track is a little different. For a yeah. fighter thief, for example, I don't know which one goes up faster. Is it the thief or the fighter? I can't remember right now this time. I don't have the book in front of me. But the thief can't go four levels, and the and the and, and the, I'm sorry, the thief couldn't go to fifth level, and the fighters remain at second level. You see what I'm saying? They have okay. to be close to one another. I believe it's a two level difference. There can't yeah, be no more than a two level difference between multi class characters when they level. Right, yeah. But I was saying with the experience when Joe handed it out, he would say, Okay, if you're a character you get three hundred experience points for the fighter half and two hundred experience points for the thief half. He would do it that way for us. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're splitting evenly, that is correct. But the, the other part is where people fail to remember that is that they, they can't be a, a two I think it's a two level difference if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. Between the classes right. that level. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go too far that you're so far advanced in the other class. Exactly. Right. Now, you was right, Vince, for example, like if they do give out extra experience points for like that fighter thief example, uh, you found more, you found traps, you disarm them, here's another 50 experience points, here's another 25 experience points, you know, and so on, so on. Yes, no problem with that. Yes, was, then that thief was, yeah. There was tons of times that I would just get experience for being a fighter and none for being a thief because I didn't do anything as a thief. Right. Yeah. So. And uh, the second part of the question, that's easy to answer. That's, that's, that's extremely easy to answer. Just go to Dark Sun. Dark Sun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Dreykreen are a big part of that. And I believe there is a source book for that. I, I can't remember which one it is now. If you remember the complete handbooks? I know that's all second edition and everything. I mean, they have great potential to be great characters but my only recommendation is is check out the dark sun material on that specific race and everything they're really nasty they're really awesome i think they're great they are did i think they're also i i would have to look it up but in my second edition books the complete book of humanoids i think thrycrane are in there as like one of the things you could play as potential character class so right 
yeah, I think it's a great potential and everything. Just get ready for uh, some serious issues with those bad boys because one, you know, they I don't think they speak common. So but they got, got those to... way cool throwing wedge thingies. Uh, chatkas, chatkas, I believe they're called or something like that. Yeah, the throwing wedges. Yep. Yeah, the throwing wedges. Those are they cool. have four arms, I believe, right? Wow. Yeah. So they so, can yeah, throw so four sandwiches at you. Yeah. Again? They could throw four sand wedges at you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were and everything, but yeah, the interesting race and everything. Uh, they, I think that's the first time they were ever used as a playable race was in Dark Sun. Okay, cool. I know his campaign. He was writing on the boards. He was giving us a play-by-play. He's, he has a mix between first and second for his campaign. So. Oh, okay, that's good. He would probably look at that book then. Well, could you imagine if they're monks? Good lord. Yeah, really. All right, our last voicemail. Here it is. Hi, guys. This is DM Big Balls, and I am wondering, uh, you guys talked about Gary Gygax, um, and a lot of times you mentioned what he would do in his next book. Well, he actually had a next book, if I remember. It was Dangerous Journeys. I'm wondering what your take is on it and how they compare to um, AD&D. That's it. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. I actually have his. I actually have his uh, Dangerous Journeys book, or Dangerous. Really? No, I have Legendary Adventures. One of the two. It was so written, so paranoid that so he wouldn't be sued by TSR that it made the game so weird that you didn't want to play it, and it was so complex that you didn't want to bother with it. I vaguely remember Dangerous Journeys when it came out. I think it came out in ninety ninety one. Is that right, Vince? Somewhere yeah. around there. I know it got pulled off the shelf really quick. It got pulled really fast, like within a month of yeah, I, of uh, of publication. I I remember briefly looking through the books. I'm like, huh, this kind of looks like D and D. Why would I want to buy this? Yeah, the first one, the dangerous, uh, the first one looked exactly like first edition, almost yeah, exact key, except he renamed a couple things and then that got him in trouble. So. They yanked it, and then he made up the new game, which was, like, totally way out there that you didn't want to play it, so. Legendary Adventures or whatever it was? Yeah, they used, used avatars and skill levels. I mean, skill point, um, yeah, skill something or other for levels, and it was really yeah. It was It was extremely convoluted and everything, and it's sad to see that happen to, uh, the, you know, to him after all those years and everything but like I said I think he got paranoid and I, th- I know that there was a cease and desist on him that he got sued and that's why they pulled the original product up because it was too close to the, and, and it's sad I don't know how, how you live out of that that uh, what do you call those actors typecast that's what it was he was typecast for that particular game so he could not write anything remotely similar to his yeah, yeah. and so he went with some different direction and and sorry to say, it failed miserably because, I mean, I saw it. I was not interested in it whatsoever. I know who, I mean, you know, we got Gary Gygax, so I said it should be good. I look at it and said, someone else wrote this because this is not, you know, what I expect. Um, yeah, they, they really burnt them on that. I do yeah. have to say, though, that Gary's book was a lot easier to read and play than Dave Arneson's version of what happened to be D&D. I'm sorry, Dave wrote down the most complex formulas in his book. Oh, yeah, but see, back in those days, you got to stand that they was thinking from a war game mentality. Ooh. And, you know, I looked at this stuff and I think like, 
Oh, boy, this is going to be rough. I'm going to say, my sister comprehended that stuff because she was a lot older than me in, during that time when she got into that stuff. Yeah, it was complicated and everything, but uh, that legendary journeys or whatever it was, dangerous journeys and everything, all that stuff was just, I just, it just did not catch on. It just did not catch on in the local area. Ah. Okay. And the game and stores didn't carry it. Let me tell you that. They didn't carry it. It didn't sell. They got rid of it. I was lucky to get a copy of it, and uh, it's it's very interesting to read just to see what he thought D and D was supposed to be like. Right. If you ever find a copy of it or a PDF, definitely it's a good read. Just the math makes your head spin. Sure. <laughs> oh god, a, no math. Now, now, yeah, well, Vince, wasn't there a clone out there that was supposed to uh, be like his next incarnation of D and D, or what was that? It's called Dragon Something. Oh, it's on Lulu. Oh. It's like a clone of what uh, Dave Arneson's version of D&D should be. I have to look it up and have Matt put in the notes. After the oh, show. no, I was talking about Gary Gygax's, you know, envisioning of a second edition D&D or something. Wasn't there a clone out there that, that someone already came out with? Oh, Adventures Dark and Deep? Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a clone. That's just everything that Gary said in his forum posts and everything. Oh, that's what it was. Oh, I, I didn't know what it was. Incorporating things like the uh, Mystic, the Savant. Oh, okay. Um, the Montebank, yeah. I think it's called. If I pronounce that right, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So we have some emails now to go over. This first one comes from David. And uh, as a DM, if a doppelganger replaces a PC, how would you play it so none of the players get wise to the switch? Whoa. If the DM starts making decisions for the character replaced by a doppelganger, it's all but certain that the players will know something is amiss. Thoughts? Look at the module X two. I believe X2 has a, or is it X1? X2 or X1 has a good example of a doppelganger with a player and how to proceed to do that. Cause we that would have to be, I think it's X2. That's Castle Amber. Yeah, Castle yeah. Amber. It's actually yes. recording in our actual play of when Crispy was trying to DM for once. And uh, there was a scene in there, I believe, where Glenn was uh, DM Glenn was playing a character. His player got placed by a doppelganger, and he had to play along with it. So this is, you can listen to that one. I'm not sure where exactly in the podcast it is, but <laughs> yeah, there's another one in B3 in Palace of the Silver Princess. And as a DM, if the, the doppelganger's main intent in there was to get one of the party players to uh, follow him into another place so he can slay that character and take over. Now, what I will do is I said, well, listen, guys, I want to take a break. And I will tell that I'll pull that player to the side and say, hey, listen, let's talk for a second. Your character is dead. You have been replaced by a doppelganger. The doppelganger knows pretty much what you know because it has that ESP ability. As everyone remembers the uh, doppelganger from first edition Monster Manual. Mm -hmm. It has the ESP ability. So it knows pretty much a lot about you. So from here on now, you're going to play this ev uh, the doppelganger. You're playing yourself. But remember, it's an evil doppelganger. And his main intent is, is to kill you or, you know, bring harm to the party, escape, or whatever the case may be. That's mm -hmm. how I handle it. Cool. Yeah, I would pretty much handle it the same way. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any other way you could really think of a a good way of of keeping it secret from the rest of the party. I mean, well, actually, with technology nowadays, you could, if everybody has their cell phones, you text that player <laughs> and yeah. say, you are, your character is dead. You are an RA doppelganger. Keep this to yourself. Uh, play it out accordingly. Something oh, like that. Uh, they're neutral alignment, I believe, are they not? Uh, I believe they're neutral in alignment, so you can't detect evil on them. So I, I try to give them an understanding that the god doppelganger is just, you know, out for itself. And, you know, it does, you know, you see where I'm coming from? Mm hmm. 
if you have a doppelganger in the game, you need a DM needs to look at that and say, well, if this kills a character, then this is what needs to happen. And then you have to have those set of goals for that player in the event that does kill a player character in the game. And doppelgangers are neutral. You're right. Just they are neutral. That's what I mm-hmm. thought. So, yeah. So a DM has to plan for if a character gets killed, give them a piece of paper off the side and say, this is what happened to you. This is what I expect of you from here on now. Uh, until they either find out you're a doppelganger and then you can bring in a new character or, you know, run it at your own whim. But just you, you see where I'm coming from on this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Next email comes from Robert and his title, Get to the Chopper. It's kind of a funny little thing. <laughs> Hi, gents. I play D&D and love your podcast. The entire team comes up with fast, fantastic insights into role-playing for both a player and a DM's perspective, the latter being my main role. And your take and theories on the original editions universally accepted across all editions. I haven't listened to older episodes, though I'd like to contradict recent feedback regarding DM Will. His take on issues and input into the podcast is both genuine and realistic. He has a unique approach that is one of my main reasons I tune into your podcast. That is clear breath of knowledge is worthwhile, worthwhile to any gamer. Keep up the good stuff, Will. Will! your fan base keeps on growing (laughs) lastly Wizards of the Coast releasing first edition books the only downside of your podcast is the non-acceptance of fourth edition with the occasional branding of is it the tool of the devil or the forbidden fruit (laughs) so pretty much you know (laughs) what is your takes on the reprints we've probably gone all that a lot so uh, what do you think of Wizards of the Coast feeling love for all AD&D uh, former editions? And can you cut us some us four E sinners some slack? Five no. stars. <laughs> five stars, gents. Five stars, particularly your topic introduction music voice over is uniquely gold. <laughs> he's now so- he's sucking up to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, per- perhaps <laughs> I should make a confession that the last RPG book I actually purchased was the Rules Compendium for fourth edition. Oh, you <laughs> I found it for $10, so I'm like, just as huh. a reference, it's oh, worth that's, it. Well, that's beer money. See, well, actually, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think that's the best thing to do is if you can get these books right now for that cheap of a price, I recommend getting them because what's going to happen is August of 2012, they're not releasing any more products for fourth edition. Therefore, oh, the price is going to increase. Aww. Aww. Well, well, the th- we've been aww. down this road before. We've had people say, "Why are you bad mouthing this with it?" It is a first edition AD and D podcast. We're going to back you. Talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, really, fourth edition is a perfectly fine game. It's just not for us, but that's okay. Yeah. You can. There's absolutely. If you want to play your fourth and you have fun, that is the most important thing of. Gaming, having fun, and if you have fun with fourth, we have fun with first. More power to us. It doesn't matter. We all don't have to play the same game, but we should, however, try to just help our hobby in general to get more people gaming. That's what's important. Just having people having fun gaming. <laughs> so no, I think that's. 
I mean, that's that's awesome. You know, I, you know, I, I, I love it. You know, when people play games and have fun, because one, I'm not going to be there the one to, uh, you know, pee in someone's Wheaties and say that game stinks and you're not having fun. Well, if you're having fun, more power to you. I'm glad you're enjoying fourth edition. It, it, it's a great tactical board game. It's it's wild related. Hey, you can have fun with that. I like sure. first edition. Hey, I love first edition. That's, uh, you know, I mean, it's a great game. Very simple. I love it. I have fun with it. Hey, more power to you, my friend. Good. Yeah, definitely. We 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 will just have fun. Just have fun. That's all I have to say. That's it. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Anyway. Playing first edition. Yes, playing first. Edition. <laughs> <Not> cool. <laughs> anyway, James Scott writes in. Hey guys, first of all, let me say how much I love your podcast. I look forward every week to a new episode. Top notch stuff. I do have a question for you all. One I hope you grace with an answer. Ooh, I have an eleven year old son that has been having issues in school with math and reading. I decided that playing some first edition D&D might help build up his math, basic math and reading skills. I will admit I have looked at the other editions and found them too complex even for me. I have lots of great ideas for storylines, thanks to you guys, but I'm wanting to know how you adjust your game for younger players. And do you include props to help them keep them interested? Thanks for the great info and excellent podcast, James. Oh, well, I can definitely uh, put some... Uh... My two electrum pieces into this one. You're not young, so that doesn't count. <laughs> you just turned uh-huh. forty-one. No, because I have kids in my particular. Uh, oh, I see. Campaign, see. <laughs> ah. uh-huh. I have. I have youngins. Uh, I actually, I have a. I have a, one that's eleven, another that's nine, and another I think that's seven. You think so? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> They're not the two of them are not my kids. Oh, okay, okay. okay. My, the oldest one, eleven, uh, Anna. She's she's my child. The other two, they're from other players in the group. That's that's their offspring. Oh, okay. I would say invasion of the body snatchers. You got them out of pee pods. Okay. No, no. But <laughs> no. As far as like doing any real adjustments, um, not really. I think the math is it's. You know, it's basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, yeah. and division. Uh, so it's right up their alley. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, reading, uh, pretty much uh, if you have kids that are at a particularly higher reading level, they will enjoy reading the books for the most part. I know I did when I was when I was that age. And... Um, you know, as far as like incorporating some other things, I I would say maybe sound effects. That's one of the things I do. I download a bunch of sound effects. Like when I was doing, like right now with the, uh, we're doing Isle of Dread, where they're at right now in the current campaign. I download a whole bunch of like uh, public domain sound effects of like, you know, Tom Tom beats and, you know, swamp sounds, things like that. And, and play those from time to time. The kids dig it, and you know what? The adults kind of like it too. So it just really brings everybody into the mix. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to get. You don't want to do a whole sensory overload of this stuff. But uh, yeah, I I I don't think you really have to adjust too much. I think just keep with that. And you know, if you want to, I think if you want to put little sound effects, like if you have a laptop or or computer or an iPod, and you know some external. Sp- Speakers play a few MP3, you know, MPEGs and not MPEGs, but um, you know, uh, MP3s, MP3 files or whatever they might be, 
Uh, yeah, that could go, that could go a long way. Sound effects go a long way. You don't have to worry about other props. You know, I mean, you can if you want to do like a really cool map for them, uh, you could do that too. And uh, I think we had a pop podcast uh, last year. We talked about like doing props and stuff. Yeah. For 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 your game. Mm-hmm. And um, there's there, if I don't remember what issue that was, we'll have to dig through and might want to listen to that one and maybe get some ideas. And, you know, and not only for the kids, the adults dig it too. They really like it. Boy, I'm really showing my age. I said, you know, they really dig it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, solid, far out, and right on, man. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I agree and, totally. And I wish them huge luck because if we, that's another key thing is we got, we got to bring the younger generation into us. We got to, you know, it can't be a bunch of like grognards and fat beards sitting until they're, you know, you know <laughs> so, until we become liches. And. <laughs> So, you know, we no, I agree totally. I think props are one of the key things to making the game interesting. And remember, we're dealing with kids who have a, uh, what do you call it? Their attention span is, 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 you know, very limited. Right. So keep them, keep them involved. You got to keep them involved all the time. I mean, D&D is not shoots and ladder. It's, it's not Candyland. And, uh, and and you know what? The, the the best point about it is, though, it's an educational experience. And that's one of the pros of the game that's really not talked about a lot. Right. Yes, it's great for them to get interested in reading. Yes, it's great to get involved in, you know, math or whatever the case may be. But it's not just that. It helps build their imagination. It makes them think on all other levels when it comes to other issues, whether it's in real life or in a fantasy game. So, yes, I, I totally agree that this this is a game that can really build on a young child and make them i think a much more intelligent and well-rounded individual yep there's quite a few teachers i've seen who play ad and one e and they're just like oh i i try to make my students play it and they learn math their math skills have gone up and reading skills have gone up because it's something right. that's interesting to them so absolutely that is totally cr- and you know what their writing abilities get yeah. better yeah. Now there are some gamers out there. I wonder where in the world they learn their writing skills. But believe me, have them write and draw. I'm telling you, it only hones the skills they already have. It's going to make them a lot better. Kudos to that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know for myself, because of D and D, got me much more interested in history, and which became a life, eventually a lifelong passion. I got my degree in history because of that. So oh. that's cool. Yeah, as and long as they don't bring emo into the into the game or something, or Elmo or whatever his name is. Emo. Oh man, I don't know what they are. Emo Elmo, I forgot that that silly doll that laughs out loud. Yeah, I now have an idea for a campaign: Nightmare on Sesame Street. Nice, and that's out there for Elmo too. Yeah, that's good. Kill them all. Okay, thank you. The next uh, one comes from Lee. Hey guys, love the show. One thing that can make it better is if you brought back the actual play episodes of the Creature Feature Theater. They inspired the inspiration they provided us was indispensable for a new player like myself wanting to use some of the let's say quirkier old school monsters. We love to game. Love would love to game with you guys sometime. You provided me with so much inspiration, and my first campaign is kicking. Well, we're gonna say bot. So thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying what he said. Uh, yeah, we said this a couple times. We, we can that because the episodes were going over two and a half hours. And... Yeah, as, as enjoyable as they were. Yeah, yeah, they got kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> 
we have three, four, five actual play podcasts that you could find going to our um, what's it rfiactualplay.tk or if you head over and search on iTunes for WGPN presents OSR Gaming, you can find my first podcast, Book of Sorrows, Jason's podcast, the what was the Barons of Hogsen, right? Yes. Yes. Um, Crispy had one up there for a while. Uh, the RFI community game was up there for about 10 episodes yep. where Drama Man was DMing with uh, Leaf. And then now my new uh, Legend of Fin Fang Foon will be up there too. So that's why we stopped doing it also because that gave you examples of how to DM and play. You know, uh, my recommendation is is if you can get on to the, uh, our website, you know what that is, and you could always ask questions. And say, like, how can I use this monster? What would be a great monster to use? Or if not, call in and say, like, I want to know how can you use this particular monster? And, you, you know, go. we could, give, you know, do it like that. That's the best way. Yeah, just like I said, you know, time is an issue, but I don't make those calls. You give me my subject, I talk about it, and I'm done. <laughs> okay. I, I'm still waiting for someone to say, hey, how do I use a Zorn? How do I Very- use, uh, yeah. <laughs> just a thought. How do I use a Cylon? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, no, that's not going Battlestar Galactica yet. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I only like the old version. The new version, I couldn't stand. I'm just letting you know now. I despised it. I love the new version. Sorry. Starbuck was not a girl. All right, <laughs> gentlemen, focus, focus. <laughs> Who cares? Talk about short attention spans. Starbuck <laughs> <laughs> <It> was hot. <laughs> Anyway, the, the last email comes in from Darren. It's quoted going solo issue. Oh. Love the podcast. Just listen to the recent going solo cast when Matt and Nick started talking about lone wolf versus fighting fantasy. It, is really, it really took me way back. And he attached a PDF for us to take a look at. He said, keep up the good work, Darren. He, come, he hails from Vancouver, Canada. Oh, Canada. America's hat. Oh, <laughs> blame can. Oh, sorry. Well, there's your fans coming from Canada. That's right. And that concludes the Sage Advice for this week. If you'd like to write in or request uh, RFI staff at gmail.com you can, or uh, 860-575-4210, the hotline. You can request, like uh, DM Will said, can you please talk about this or that? And uh, certainly we will. So let's head into our first segment of the night. Yeah. I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell ya, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some. Table manners. Okay, everyone, on today's Table Manners, we are going to talk about the world of Greyhawk. Now, uh, I can tell you right now, just I'm going to keep this to the bare minimum because I can talk all day about the world of Greyhawk. There's so much to talk about. Oh, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> and you know what? Please feel free to jump in. So let's cover a couple little things here. I mean, Greyhawk is a great campaign setting. Don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoy Greyhawk. It, it covers a lot of issues. And uh, I think I'm, I'm going to start here with this part right here because I, I really want to get into this part mostly because I love modules, especially some of the ones that came from Greyhawk. So I'm going to start with that part right there. Okay. Uh, 
there are a lot of first edition modules in the world of Greyhawk. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have never, ever been in WG5, Morden Kanan's Fantastic Adventure, you are definitely indeed missing one of the better modules for first edition. That now, is a fun adventure. <laughs> I'm telling you, that it is just awesome. And, uh, I, and there's a reason why I'm harping on that particular module because of Morden Kanan. And I'm going to get that into a little second about some of the NPCs that you will run into in Greyhawk if a DM decides to u- utilize them. And Morden Kanan is one of those, you know, fantastic NPCs. But, you know, some of the other modules that I looked at when I'm looking through my stack and everything and I was doing some research online, I'll say, thank you, Vince, for giving me a really tough subject here. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's not a tough subject. It's just there's a lot of material. It's yeah. huge. It is just huge. We want to do justice, so we gave it to you. So you can read right out of the book anyway. So you know. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you're you're going to mention this, but in the uh, in the uh, the the uh, World of Greyhawk uh, box set in the I think it's the glossography. Yes. So on page 30, they have a listing, at least what was in all the current adventures that were set in World of Greyhawk. It's a real good way of knowing yeah. everything what was published. Oh, yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, so I'm going to cover three general areas. I'm just going to cover little bits and pieces there. And from there on, you all can interject whenever you feel like it uh, mm-hmm. because I don't want to uh, dominate this conversation. I mean, there are just a ton of modules. And just to give you an understanding about, you know, a, a, a good portion of them, like uh, uh, S3, Expedition to the Barrow Peaks, the mm-hmm. Slave Lord series, oh, yeah. Queen of the Demon Web Pits, Against the Giants, Descend into the Depths of the Earth, you know, L1, The Secret of Bone Hill, Sinners of Secret of Salt Marsh, Danger Dunwater, Against the Cult of the Reptile God. Oh, and another great one that is actually one of the more difficult modules to ever run is the uh, the Forgotten Temple of Thrizden. That, oh, that's yes. Very, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, the Assassin's Knot L2, uh, UK1, UK2, UK3, The Sentinel, The Gauntlet, you know, those, yep. those uh, series of uh, modules that were written uh, in England. Yeah. Uh, D1 through 4, The Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh, and yeah. I believe, what was the other ones? I'm thinking the Dungeonland module, those two, EX1, EX2. Yeah, all and, those. And, yeah, EX1 and EX2 are technically like part of Castle Greyhawk. So Right. <laughs> they could be anywhere. <laughs> now, my question was, I didn't see it. I really didn't look up the module. Castle Amber, wasn't that written in Greyhawk? Um, Actually, that's for regular basic D&D. Yeah. Okay. Well, it doesn't mean you can't port it over to World of Greyhawk. Oh. I can't say why you couldn't. Yeah, well, I was kind of confused because I thought X1 and, 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 and X2 Castle Amber wasn't it. But for some reason, I just had that on my mind again. So, I mean, those are some of the many uh, modules I see. And we're just talking about first edition now. Yeah. If you go to second edition, there is a whole slew of adventures products and supplements for Greyhawk. I'm not going to cover that. I'm going to let Thacko's Hammer cover it, if I'm allowed to say them on here. Let them cover that. There's tons of that stuff for them to cover on Greyhawk. So there is not, I mean, there is a limited, you know, amount of knowledge out there, but there's still so much. You you can go on for this forever on this. So again, basically those adventures. Now that I'm covering the subject of modules, I also want to cover some of the books. Now, if, if, if any of you like Greyhawk and want to get into the novel side of the house, I think I covered most of them already. And uh, most of them like Return to Quag Keep. Uh, the Tomb of Horrors is another one, which I failed to mention. 
And I don't know why that wasn't on the list, though, of modules in the Forgotten Realms. I'm, Ray- I'm sorry, uh, oh. in Greyhawk. Yeah. But Tomb of Horrors is a book in the Greyhawk setting. So I don't know how yeah. they got mixed up somehow. Mm. I know uh, they adapted a lot of those books, uh, right. uh, the modules, to... Um, to uh, to a novelization for I know I've heard people that's kind of hit or miss on how good they are I remember well you're probably going to talk about the Against the Giants one and I oh, do have that I, one and that I, was a fun that was a fun yeah. read yeah. you know I found all of them pretty good to read because I I really got the main ones like Keep on the Borderlands the Descendants of Death of Earth White Plume Mountain and uh, Against the Giants I did get all those and I found those actually really good reading. Now, I did go back to some of the earlier novels, which I read back in the day, like The Artifact of Evil, uh, The Name of the Game, uh, Return to Quag Keep, which that was kind of weird to, you know, to read Quag Keep, because I was getting that confused with B1 in Search of the, of the Unknown, because I believe that was called Quas Creedon. So I get those all mixed up somehow. I don't know why I do it. I read these books so long ago and everything. Good reading, good reading. Now, I'm not familiar with the novels of, with Gord the Rogue in them. Uh, so yeah, Cord the Rogue. That was um, yeah, that was Guy Gygax's stuff. Well, I know uh, that Artifact it, Evil, you know, didn't have him in there, and you know, right. uh, what was the other one? Saga of the Old City. There was some in there without him. So, I mean, it's 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 interesting how well, Saga of the Old City. Uh, that was the I think was the first one, and Gord the Rogue was in that one. Um, oh yes, I get them all mixed up. There were so many of them. And one of my favorite authors is Rose Estes. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she's in, she has something to do with those novels too as well. Now I was just reading on her just too long ago, but I can't remember what it was about for some reason. I guess I'm getting old. That's what it is and everything. But you know, with the modules out there and the novels and everything, I'm telling you, just with that read alone, that's really going to educate you basically about Greyhawk. Now, one supplement that I think is a must-have is the World of Greyhawk Fantasy World setting that I believe was printed in uh, 1980-81, if you're all familiar yeah. with that. There was the first folio set that came out Yeah, back in 79 or 80, yep. That was the folio, but the one I'm talking about is the one that had that came out with the big uh, two-part map. There was there was a folio yeah, set that did. They both had right. maps in them, but one came in like a a folio of of like a like a. Uh, it was a gazetteer, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which which I have right in front of me. Yeah, the original gazetteer. I think yeah, Gaz one with the Greyhawk gazetteer. Was like yeah, right. oh, yeah. It was in a folder. It had one Giant book. Hair. It has the 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 uh, two big half Darlene made map. Right. And yeah. that one came out like seventy nine eighty, okay. and then they had the big box set. Right. That came out in eighty three. Okay, that's the one that came in eighty three. So the one I was talking about is the one that came in seventy nine and eighty. Yeah, that definitely is a must have. And if you can get the the, the box set for nineteen eighty three, get them. I find them very expensive on eBay. So just uh, get ready to pay a pretty penny for those bad boys because I mean they're in great demand right now. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to track one down and I cannot find one at a decent price. Wow. I just hooked up someone on the website. I gave him two of the fold out maps. Wow. 
I just gave it to him. I, I didn't even think if he wanted the books. I think he had the books. He just didn't have the maps. And I had an extra set of maps. And, and, and you know, they were in decent shape. So I gave it to him and everything. I didn't ask no money for him. I mean, I just, you know, you know how I am. I, I just give away stuff these days. I don't yeah. I want no money. But, no, definitely, if you can get any one of those two products, definitely get them. Because that is right. definitely your must-have. That's going to cover the region and the whole kadoodle or whatever you say, kazoo and everything in there with that. Yeah, it's the whole shooting match right there. It has just, you know, and I think probably the more prevalent one was the 83 box set. Yes. And you have two books in there. You have the the large actual guide, which covers the, um, oh, my gosh, it covers everything. I mean, it starts <laughs> at the beginning talking about the days of the year, uh, the months, how they're split up on the – on the uh, planet of Orth, which is the actual planet where the uh, where the continent of Orc uh, is set, where the city of Greyhawk and then the other uh, other uh, realms around Greyhawk are, and it goes into the seasons, the climates, the timeline, the brief timeline that goes oh, up yes. to year five seventy six. I mean, Gary Gygax even went into the migrations of the four major ra uh, human racial groups, uh, how they <laughs> yep. spread, uh, spread into the um, the continent, and talks about like different the the different populations, their dress, the 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 different racial mixes of all the different kingdoms. Then it talks about all the different kingdoms there, and you know the their crops. Their coat of oh. arms, the alignments, uh, the bodies of war order, the different forests. Uh, uh, then you have all the different gods. And that's just in the first book, just a wealth of information. The next book is kind of more of a – it's got a lot of nuts and bolts in it, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of charts. Probably the most uh, impressive chart I've seen on random encounters I've ever seen. There's lots of random encounter charts. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the weather chart, which I've never used. <laughs> oh, I loved yes. using that. A friend of mine had the box set, and I loved using the weather. I'd always want a blizzard or something really ridiculous. Yes, I'd actually start for uh, the wind chill table. So, oh, yes, yep. you could calculate wind chill, wind effects, weather, yep. the special weather phenomenon. Uh, it's yeah. just oh, insane. Yeah. Yeah, you want to use your wilderness survival guide if you're using that weather yeah. chart. You'll get a lot. Uh, you know, it also gives a, a one chart I use here often when creating characters. If you're going to do the World of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting, is the determining character's place of birth. And you have one for humans and the other one for all your demi human races. So you could determine which country or which village, which uh, forest they might have. Uh, you know, originated from. Right. So I have a lot of that in there. Just, yeah, massive amounts of magic. Just, I'm sorry. Just, I'm like, I'm such a World of Greyhawk nerd. I yeah, love I, it. I, I love it all. <laughs> great setting. I'm, I'm telling you, you can go on and on with this. There, there's so much information. And, and you know, it's kind of sad that, you know, that, you know, it's, it's difficult to find these products. And, yeah. uh, and like I said, if you can get either the box set, uh, the box set actually sounds like a better deal, but those maps, get them. I recommend them highly. Now, you know, with all that said and everything, you know, we was talking about the lands and all that. And uh, I looked a little bit on the history of how Greyhawk, Greyhawk was developed and everything. And I think that's where Gary Guy back, 
Greg, Gary Gygax went back to his, you know, wargaming roots, and uh, roots, and and I guess he developed this world with a somewhat of a basic uh, parallel of of real life events in our world. If you if you get my drift, yeah, you know. And when I look at Gary Gygax's Greyhawk, the first thing that comes to my mind is Birthright. And I don't know if many know Birthright, which is actually an awesome campaign setting. And that's how I feel about Greyhawk. I, I think it's a great campaign setting that, that that embellishes a lot of those those social things. It just covers it all. It covers the whole gambit. Very impressive. I put it on par with other uh, campaign settings, such like as Harnmaster, uh, Chivalry and Sorcery. I'm trying to think if there's any other settings that come close to that kind of detail and mm-hmm. work that they put into it. It's just amazing. Uh, Greyhawk, uh, Greyhawk is definitely the the, the finest point that Gary's genius was was just his whole campaign design. One of the things that I thought about the campaign and I think at least at least in my opinion is there's just enough information for the DM to where he could still make this his own. It, not everything is set in stone. Once right. Once you get the campaign and it's not dependent on like what happened with Forgotten Realms when all the, especially when it got in the second edition later with the, the glut of all the books. Right. It's like you couldn't, you couldn't like, you know, you, you stub your toe and you're going to destroy the whole fabric of the, of the darn world. Right. With, with Greyhawk, there's just enough information that you could fill in your own little gaps. You can make, you can make it their own. It's, there's a nice balance of information, right. at least in my opinion. So you don't oh, have to worry about other right. things if it all fits together. You know, oh, that that is a key point. Go ahead. There's plenty of room in that campaign that you can make up a section of it and just say it's part of Greyhawk. No one's there. You know. go. Exactly. Right. Yeah. In fact, like it's, a, uh, yeah. there's no uh, Frank Glutter books. Yeah. Yeah. Frank I, Metzer has his own continent on on Orc on Orth. Uh, called uh, uh he's running his campaign through it right now right. i've been reading the campaign journal for it and yeah, I'm the one that never to... ends yeah uh, that's what he says it uh, never ends so that's good yes he, it's yeah. it's uh, he's got a whole other continent i guess part of the whole kind of history behind the history of making this was like gary said you know what frank you have you can have this continent here on the planet this is your part of the world. You and I'm going to take this, and you over here, you can take this. So, and I'm trying to remember what the name of the the continent Imperia or yeah Imperia. That's what it's called. So it's like the continent of Imperia or something. Yeah, so, of that yeah nature. I mean, like I said, it gives you the minimum amount of information, but enough for you to build on it, and that's great because you know I just know some players out there that are really like you said you're a Greyhawk nerd. I oh, I love people, it. Yeah, yeah, some people are Forgotten Realm nerds, and they get into this history, and then when a DM deviates from that history a little bit, well, that's not what happened on this particular date. This is what happened, and I said, you know what? You better be quiet. No, that that wasn't me talking. That was some other DM that I watched. I, I don't talk to people <laughs> like that, but it's just one of those things. Now, I think one of the fine aspects that I find uh, unique among campaign settings are the NPCs 
that characters can run into. And I'm telling you, this is why I like Morden Kanan's greatest adventure, WG5. I'm telling y'all out there, fans of D&D, if you have never played that module, you got to find a DM to run it. It's awesome. And uh, we'll talk about Morden Kanan. And it's high level, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, you have to be because, and this is why I'm going to talk about Morden Kanan. And, you know, we talk about Elminster and and Dritz and, and all those other, you know, heroes of the Forgotten Realms. But Morden Kanan, fabulous wizard, and uh, I forgot who played him. Was that Gary's character, Morden Kanan? Yeah, that was. Morden Kanan was one of many, but, you know. Morden Kanan, I think, was played by Gary. And and what's funny is that if you look at some of the spells in the player's handbook, of course, some of these spells are named after some of these great personages, which the players could possibly run into. And I can't remember any of the Morden Kanan spells. Is that the one, uh, the Hound? Yeah, Mordecai's oh, Faithful Hound. That was one. Oh, I don't know the other ones. You know what? That's funny that you mentioned that because just the last game, my the the player characters ran into some magic user using Mordecai's Faithful Hound, and boy, did they <laughs> not like it. <laughs> if you go to our website, I started doing a history on Greyhawk a long time ago, and it speaks about Mordecai and the whole uh, inner circle of uh, Greyhawk and the Circle right. of Eight. I think it is the Circle of what? Circle of Eight. Yeah, yeah that, I started um, talking about all. There was an article. Let me see if I could pull it up while you're talking. Yeah, Go. so, you know, you have, like, Bigby and Melf, Prairie, uh, and Don K. He played the one that was real funny. This is, the, you know, the craziest spell in the world, Merlin's Spoon. So, yeah. I guess, yeah, it, <laughs> when I think about it. And uh, and then there's just a couple others, like Robolar and, and Otto and Dromage, which was Jim Ward's. Ward spelled backwards. backwards <laughs> which, that was pretty cool. And, Some of those characters, yeah. too. And now that you mention all the different, like, personas uh, that you could encounter or, or have, like, spells attached to them. Right. If someone doesn't have it out there, another good source book for a lot of those people are, is the original Rogues Gallery. Because in yep. the back of that has a lot of those uh, characters like Tensor and Mordekainen and, oh, yes. uh, and, and Bigby. And it has their stats and their, their history. So that's another, yep. another book that if you just want to have a little more history – the kind of been thrown in so for your own amusement. Yeah, Rogue's Gallery is a great addition. Right, and, and, and you know, there's a really interesting storyline on all these characters and everything, because one of them was evil. I can't remember which one it was. But, uh, you know, and it, it just it's just amazing because, and, and you know, Morden Kanan's greatest adventure, I keep talking about this adventure. I, I thought it was one of the best modules there out there. <laughs> but I know that they went through there, and I know some of them had got turned to stone and got killed. Right. And, and it, it makes them actually more human, if you get my drift. These were not NPCs that were ultra-powerful, like Elminster, who somehow related to some god or something. These people were actually mortal, and they died. <laughs> right. Yes. Or they've, like, retired. But, like, if I remember in the Rogues Gallery book, I don't have it with me, but if you look at some of the levels for the for some of these uh, who would be NPCs in the campaign setting, their levels aren't really that high. They, you know, right. maybe, maybe it's somewhere in the teens. Well, except know? like, like one, like Rary, 
uh, he, I think he's a, he was a magic user. He only went up to like uh, fourth or fifth level, third level, fourth level, fifth level somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and then they retired him, and he had right. that real weak spell, Rary's mnemonic enhancer. I mean, right. whoop d, why would you have that in a spell book? But that's his name's cool. attached to a spell, and that's cool. <laughs> that's the cool <laughs> thing, even though it was very limited. But I look at like Otto, and I think like Otto is irresistible dance. Yeah. What kind of NPC comes up with a weird dance line? I'll tell you, that's a horrible spell to cast. I just on love stuff. the picture in the player's handbook with that Umberhulk <laughs> jig. Oh, that's the Umberhulk. That's right. It had the Umberhulk in the dance. Yeah. That's hilarious. So that's yeah. Just, so I mean, that's... and you know, you, you mentioned tensor. And yep. uh, yeah, so I mean, yes, uh, the one I felt was, Come on, huh? give it, it up, tensor's floating disc, people. I'm sorry, <laughs> that thing was just as bad as Rary's mnemonic enhancer. Hey, that has a, that. You know what? That spell has some benefits. How much can it lift? <laughs> hey, I, it, I I don't have the player's maybe handbook. Maybe on somebody's head from a certain height. <laughs> I know we, we've used a ton of times to do things like carrying gold, carrying bodies, carrying yeah. Rock. And if you didn't want to step in the lava, you could always step on the disc. <laughs> there you go. And scoot yeah, it across. But... Yeah, that was always fun. Now, what yeah, thing... I just pulled out the rogue gallery and got some uh, levels here. Like, Big B was only level 13. Yeah. Ararat was a 14. Uh, let's see who else we got in here. What's Mordenkainen? Because I think Mordenkainen was one of the higher levels. Level. I think he was 18. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, no, he was 16. So, yeah. so, so most of them are like in the teen levels. Who's elementary? He's like level 50-something. Oh, well, what, <laughs> yeah, he was, like I said, you know, they made the NPCs, uh, and these were actual player characters by Gary Gygax, his son, and a lot of the close friends and everything that, you know, developed all this stuff. But these were actually, I mean, they were very mortal. They can die. They make a, they fell a save a throw. Guess what? You can turn to stone. And one other thing that I now do they have Rigby in there? I mean, I'm not Rigby, but Bigby. Yeah, Bigby, I think Bigby. is in there. Yes. See, I want to yeah. know what is this alignment in the Rogues Gallery? Bigby alignment is neutral. Now, see, that's surprising because his character started off evil. Just to let you know, so you know, we talk about playing evil characters and good characters. He started off as an evil character. And he drifted the neutral. Interesting. Yeah, I got to take a look to see what they did in WG5, if his alignment got changed in there somehow and everything. But I know that his alignment originally was evil or something. I was well, reading up on I it. Bigby used to be my chiropractor back in New York when I lived there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it was Dr. Bigby. I was like, yes! He's going to use yeah, that clenching it's... fist in the force. Now, <laughs> now, you want to hear something very interesting about Jim Ward's draw midge? And I believe I spoke to uh, Jim Ward about this before, so I can't remember when I spoke to him and everything. You know, Jim Ward had his own company for a while. It was called, uh, oh, not was it Fast Forward Entertainment? I yes. believe that's what it was. Yes. You know that Jim Ward could not use Draw Midge in his books, even though it was his name spelled backwards? Ridiculous. He was not, he could not, he was not, and and that that was a big issue with, you know, a lot of the old first edition stuff that, uh, and unfortunately, you know, uh, Jim Ward, you know, through a mistake, I think it was a mistake, you know, he didn't understand the D20 license, the open gaming license too well, 
and uh, he used a couple things from the old days. I don't know if Draw Midge was one of them, and it got him into a little bit of legal trouble. You know, uh, Wizard of Coast sent a cease and desist letter, and all right. the books had to be pulled from the shelves. And that was unfortunate for Jim Ward. He's actually a really great guy, and uh, I, I think the company folded because of that whole issue. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just sad that you he can't even use Draw Midge. That's his name spelled backwards, and they're told you can't use that. Wow. It just it, yeah, it, it's sad now, how they treated him. Now, speaking of Jim Ward, I use his name uh, either. So, like Gary couldn't use his name backwards either at that point. Right. Yeah, he can't. It, it's Zag- sad. For, for, right. for Zagig. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, that's what happens when you do work for hire yep. uh, creations. Well, you're talking about Jim Ward. I think this is a good segue into something that I was going to bring up was um, another book that kind of was on the – on the, uh, I guess the Twilight of First Edition was the Greyhawk Adventures book. Now, oh. some people, some people like it, some people don't. Other kind of ambivalent. Uh, where are your feelings on the Greyhawk Adventures book? I mean, and that was well, made. That was made by Jim Ward too. Well, I'll be honest with you. It is a second edition supplement, and one thing I will, I will not do is mix the two editions because I, I got, I got a. There's, 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 there's some disparity. Well, the the interest book was for first edition too. It was. For first. Yeah, you're thinking the Forgotten oh, Realms Adventures. Forgot. That's what I'm thinking. I'm mixing the two. See, I mixed the two up because I'm so deep in both of them, neck deep. Yeah, yeah. Now that one, I have no problem with it. I, I mean, no, that book, I have no problem with. I just make sure that there is no disparity between. The, the stuff that's in 1983 and then that current book right there. I didn't use too much stuff out of it, to be honest with you. I like the the Greyhawk Adventures book. I think it has some really cool stuff because we've done a podcast with this book and but in the past, and I, th- you know, there's some really cool nuggets of information here. New spells, new magic items. I love the stuff about clerics, which I'll talk about later. But uh, I think it's one of those books, and and I think it gets into this other issue. You have where people, they're like the Greyhawk purists, where they'll say, well, if it wasn't written by Gary Gygax, then I'm not going to use it in my uh, Gygax High, High Council, yeah. Yeah, and that anything by Jim Ward, you know, that's just junk and blah, blah, blah. You know what? No. <laughs> you know, if it's good, I mean, you have to admit, if it's not just because it's not written by Gary doesn't mean it's trash, you know. Jim Ward was just as much a part of this when he was part of uh, TSR, just like everybody else was, and they contributed as well. You know, that's why he had a character in that game world, just like a lot of everybody else did in Gary's campaign. So I don't pay any mind to the to the purists out there who they call themselves purists. I I just. Yeah, you know, I just think it's kind of ridiculous because, you know, once you buy the box set or once you get the folio or whatever it is, it's your game world anyway. You could do whatever you want with it. <laughs> so we're out the window for all we care. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And pl- plus for most, if you don't already have the folio or box set, the Greyhawk Adventures is much more accessible than either of those other products because you can get the Greyhawk Adventures for probably eight bucks. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to the sixty to seventy for one of the box sets or folios. So if you if you've never had a chance to delve into Greyhawk, you're going to go through Greyhawk Adventures first before you go through one of those box sets. Probably it's the one of the things that you can easily get exactly. Right. 
So, I mean, I see nothing wrong with it either. It's it's just you get into the the quote unquote purists right. that have some holy sanctity to <laughs> all things Gary that anything that he that didn't come down upon high from the Lake Geneva through the words of Gygax doesn't count. Which no, if you're having fun with it and it makes adds to your game, then use who it. cares who wrote exactly. it? All that exactly. matters if it embellishes the campaign and makes it a brighter, more colorful, descriptive, you know, environment. I go for it. Uh, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. And those purists know who they are. They're, they're, you know, I don't know what it is. You know what? Jim Ward played with Gary Gygax, and those purists will never take that away from him. And guess what? Draw Midge is still in that in, in the books and everything, or what have you. The, you know, the purists are not. You know, it doesn't even matter. That's how I look at it. And, and you know, like I said, the Greyhawk, great campaign setting it's it, it it has everything that needs to be there for a good dm to use and, and make it just a just a great place to play and like i said get those modules though if you can get any of those modules and put them into that setting and and while we're on the subject i'm gonna tell you right now one of the greatest villains come from, you know and we never talk about any of the villains but you know what oh, i oh, love villains Vecna. Vecna. I love oh yeah I mean, what they did with that creation alone, I mean, they made him from, uh, you know, a demi-lich or a lich to, I guess... A, a demigod. <laughs> he's a demigod or a greater god now these days. I mean, he's fabulous. I love him. And who's the other one? Ayuz? Ayuz, yeah. And, you know, all those knuckleheads from uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil. I mean, and then, you know, of course, you got the villains from the Slave Lords and the Giant series. And, of course, we can't forget our favorite friend, the Demilich from the Tomb of Horrors. Acerac. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it has it all. And like I said, if you don't use it, I mean, that's it's your loss. Not saying it's a bad loss, but to me, I, I think it's a terrible loss. So. Yeah, and, I, and also you're... <laughs> Being a loss because you're missing a huge chunk of the the history of the of the game because historically the World of Greyhawk Fantasy campaign setting was unique when it came out. It was the one of the first of its kind. I mean, uh, yeah, you had Empire of the Petal Throne, but that's kind of a different beast in itself. But this one was more accessible than Empire of the Petal of the Throne, if everybody knows what I'm talking about in that campaign world. Oh, absolutely. But this one was a little more accessible. This one really laid the groundwork for all the other campaign settings that were going to come from then on that were either going to be produced by TSR or from other companies. This was like, this was like the standard everybody kind of looked at from, from the very beginning. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, like I said, great campaign setting. If you can get the material, it's expensive. Some, Most of it's expensive if you can get well, it. I'm looking it. on uh, eBay right now as you guys are talking, and the Greyhawk World, the Greyhawk Folio, fourth and fifth printing, very good condition, 35 bucks. That's not that, bad. That's not bad. And the modules, like the original module C2, C1, they're all $25 for the lot of four of them. Oh, that's that's reasonable. That's and not bad. Uh, AD&D Greyhawk Adventure Wars book, $35. Hey, by chance, look up uh, Morden Kanan's Greatest Adventure. I'm just interested. Yeah, Morden Kanan's Fantastic Adventure. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I keep, keep saying greatest. Ah, it's a great module. That's what I mean. <laughs> that's why, because it's greatest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And if you never 
hosted or played in its second part that was in Dungeon Magazine, oh, you're definitely missing out then. $20. Oh, $29. $20, $20 even for buy it now for the uh, More Guns Fantastic Adventure. Oh, that's not can't bad. beat that. That's not bad at all. Oh. I love the front. I mean, <sighs> yeah. So with all that said and everything, thank you for y'all's input on that. I'm certain that there'll be other questions that will come up eventually and everything, whether it concerns the NPCs or whether it concerns villains of Greyhawk or just the world in general. Please, we're always welcome to, you know, uh, opening to uh, some comments out there. Cool. So uh, let's head into the next section then. What the heck is that? Undecide, you fool! I have a spell that will work here! What do you mean I can't hit with that? Alright, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. All right, everybody, this is DM Nick here, and on Game Mechanics, um, we're going to be talking about basically the gods of Greyhawk, which could be quite a large subject. I'll, I'll try to keep it narrow, but uh, try to give you as much informa- information as I can on the gods of Greyhawk and uh, what they all comprise of. And one of the things that I found uh, throughout the years, me, like if already heard, I'm a big Greyhawk uh, fan, big Greyhawk geek, is really the gods of Greyhawk is all tied in with the history of the world and the different uh, human races involved as well. So it, it all kind of, it, it all intermixes. So I'll be talking about, you know, the various human races and the demi-humans along with their various gods. And one of the things that I found, like I said, is a really great resource. And I think we're going to probably post it on the website is, um, was a PDF I found a few years back called the Deity Base, and this was was compr- uh, It was a compilation of various things that were done, um, basically of all the different types of deities in the world of Greyhawk. And this was done by uh, David Prada back in 2006, and he just took a lot of information that was already out there, and put it all together in one concise PDF of all the different gods and goddesses of the, of the uh, world of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting. Now, some of the things some people might not like is uh, he did incorporate some ideas from second edition, basically, you know, like specialty kind of priests, but I kind of like that. Remember we had that whole cleric thing in the past. Yeah. yeah I kind of like that. It, that's kind of my thing. But if you don't want to have that, doesn't mean you have to have it. At least this is a good reference for all the different types of deities. And I'll start just with the, basically the four different um, human races that populate the one continent that is the focus of the world of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting. Basically, you have the uh, – now, forgive me if I mispronounce any of these – uh, races, uh, what they are, but I think it's they have the Baklunish, you have the Flan, you have the Oridians, and the Sewell. Those are your four basic 
uh, human sub-races. And the Baklunish, their their race was more of the Oriental, Middle Eastern kind of, if you want to look at a, a real-world analogy. They're kind of uh, Middle Eastern, Oriental. And their, their gods do reflect that. For example, you have a god, his name's Al-Akbar. He's the restorer of righteousness, and he's the god of guardianship, faithfulness, dignity, and duty. And you have Istis, the lady of fate. She's obviously the goddess of fate, destiny, predestination, and future. So those are some of the gods that you'll find when you have listed with the Bakalunish. And you have the Flan, which I found kind of, or the Flan, I don't know how you really want to pronounce it. I don't know if it's like the Mexican the, oh, dish or not, but... <laughs> Uh, there's, I always found them kind of somewhat like Celtic in a way. Uh, for example, the god Biori, the goddess Biori, she's the, the Orth mother. She's the god of Orth, nature, and rain. And Nerul, who, uh, he's the reaper, full of all good, hater of life. And he's the god of death, darkness, underworld, and covert activity. Well, I just remember reading through some of the gods of the flan or the flan, however it's pronounced. They seem kind of Celtic in flavor to me. I don't know why, but it just seemed like that to me. May, might not. I'm not sure. You have the Oridians, who uh, they, I thought they were kind of hard to categorize as a people. But some of these, um, some of the gods, when you go through the a list of them, are obviously uh, like... Uh, they're part of the whole kind of gaming lore of, of AD and D like Hieronius. Hieronius. Yeah. Probably a pretty familiar name there. Hieronius, the invincible, the God of chivalry, honor, justice, valor, and daring. And one thing I thought was quite interesting about this deity, deity base is um, not only does each listing of the gods have a, basically a history of that God, you know, their sphere of influence, uh, but also list the different clerics, what their specialties might be. Um, also, if they might have druids involved with it, but also paladins. If they are of a lawful good god, chances are they're going to have some sort of uh, holy order of paladins associated with it. In this case, a Hieronius. And there is a brief description about the paladins of Hieronius in this deity base. And there's several others that are like this too. I thought that was a really cool take on it because when everybody seems like when they play a paladin, it's like just your plain Jane vanilla paladin who, you know, goes out and slays evil for good. Well, when you get into, you know, for their, whatever God they serve, now you got to see, you have a place to look, Hey, I want to play a paladin of Hieronius what is where are the paladins like where are they really like what what's their like do they have a special coat of arms do they um where are they most located where are they come out of in, in the world of greyhawk fantasy campaigns any so there is some of that in this particular pdf and i think if anybody who's going to be playing a paladin they're going to find some great um nice nuggets of information another Oridian god i had to mention this one was marika the goddess of agriculture and home, because there is an adventure that is in a temple of Marika. It's a t- uh, adventure N1 against the cult of the reptile god, where that temple 
that was in the town has been corrupted. And I remember uh, uh, Blackstone's Vault did a review of that uh, some time ago. Blackstone, so, that. Yeah. So, so there's, and that brings up another thing. A lot of these gods, you'll find tie-ins to various modules out there for when they for first edition. So, right. you have the Sewell, which I find they were kind of like, as far as race, are kind of like Norse slash Finnish in a way. I thought their gods were like, like for example, Cord. That's another one that's pretty. Uh, Familiar to us, Cord the Brawler. He's the god of athletics, sports, brawling, and war. Okay? Yeah. And uh, we have another one I thought was really interesting is Weejas, who is the witch goddess, and she's the goddess of magic and death. I thought was interesting because being a goddess of magic and particularly death, her alignment's lawful neutral. Which I thought was kind of, which was kind of an interesting take. Being so, because if you read about this particular god, and I like some of the other ones, it really gives in depth about the, basically the psychology of that particular god. That she really focuses on the lawful nature of her being. Doesn't matter if you're neutral, good, or evil. You have to follow the lawful code of things. So it's a pre and her clerics are either lawful good lawful neutral or lawful evil the lawful good clerics wear black robes the neutral ones wear gray and the evil ones wear white so kind of a little bit of switcheroo there uh-huh. so those are the yeah so, so though you got those four races right there of the humans and then you got the different you know you got the different demi-humans and i like using the the Greyhawk names like for the dwarves it's the dwar elves are the olven Stuff like that. I don't know why, but I just love the the, the Gary esque speak of those things. I think it's pretty cool. And and there's a whole bunch of different gods for each of those races. Like for the dwarves, you have Abathor, who's the god of evil and greed, and you have Clan what's his name? Clan Giggin Diggin or something, Silverbeard, father of battle. And you could probably guess what he's the god of. <laughs> you have the gods of the elves, and you have the gnome gods. And, you know, just have the ones out of the, uh, the deities and demigods. There's, you know, five or six or more gods for each of the demi-humans. Um, the halflings also have their listings of gods, you know, the, or, or the hobnes, the halflings. They have Averine, the defender, and he's the god of protection, vigilance, and war. He's the only real kind of like god of war for the uh, for halflings. And... Um, Brandaboris, who's the master of stealth, the and god of thieves and adventuring. So there's just a like a smidgen of different gods there from the demi-humans. And they have other different listings of the non-human, the humanoids, uh, the gods of the giants, elemental gods. Uh, another one's you have demons and devils. And I want to particularly focus on the demons and devils. Mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool is if you remember uh, in the deities and demigods book, it does say that demons and devils, they have the abilities of lesser gods. They are considered lesser gods. This deity base takes it to one step further and says, Oh, okay. You want to be a worshiper of Demogorgon? All right. This is what a cleric of Demogorgon does. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets into detail on that. 
Uh, let me see if I can find the uh, PDF for the for the demons or the devils here. If I can pull that up real quick, quick like for the demonic ones. Okay. Um, Demogorgon. Yeah, he's Prince of Demons. Mm -hmm. And in the listing, Demogorgon's clerics. Uh, they could be either male or female. You have to have a minimum of 13 wisdom. You have to be chaotic evil. Kind of a given. Weapons, any. Armor, none. They like to go around nude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they do, at, but at particular levels, they gain certain abilities. Like at first level, they have half damage from cold-based attacks. At fifth level, they get half damage from fire-based attacks. And far as turning undead, command at minus four levels. Now, that's a, actually another good point. Not all, if you're going to use this deity base as it is, not all the gods allow their clerics to turn undead. So just a little bit of a, uh, uh, a side note to that. Um, but the, uh, it says Demogorgon rarely has human worshippers. Uh, the one worshippers it has is those, was it the XX? Ixachittle, those vampire manta rays from the first edition. Yeah. You remember those? Yeah. <laughs> They're worship. The yeah, the yeah, the Skittles. I know I know you're talking about the evil manta rays that the evil yeah. manta rays. Yeah, they worship yeah. Demogorgon. Or Stingray. So they have clerics devoted to Demogorgon. So you have Orcus listed here, um, Nurgle. Then that's just for some of the demons and what you know. Devil? Which one? Nervil? Nurgle. Oh, okay. I think you were talking about Garfield's friend. That's no. Nermal. Oh, Nermal. I'm sorry. So he's from uh, Abu Dhabi? Abu Dhabi. Oh, God. <laughs> but like oh, I thought he said Urkel for a second. I said Urkel? I never heard no Urkel. Yes, maybe Urkel is a demon. Uh, <laughs> that I would believe. Um, but like Orcus's clerics, uh, they, uh, they could command undead. They use standard weapons and armor for uh, regular clerics. And some of these, like like I said, if you want to use specialty clerics, some clerics have specialty weapons, depending on what their god is. They might be edge weapons. Oh, shock horror. Blunt, blunt, blunt. <laughs> yeah, I'll blunt you. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they have whole different listings up here, like the the demonic ones you, if you want to have someone who's worshiping a devil yeah you got someone yeah you could and i think it also uh lays out some good ideas like you know i'm making a a, a dungeon and in this dungeon there is a temple dedicated to orcus and i need some clerics mm, how are those clerics going to be well you could go to this deity base and use it as a reference to help you kind of outline what your clerics of orcus are going to be you have some pretty good uh, ideas for some um, you know, adventure seeds here and kind of just because and, and fleshes out make it a little bit more believable i guess to your um to your players makes a very interesting so um that's the deity base and a little bit on the gods of the uh, World of Greyhawk fantasy campaign settings. There's some really cool stuff in there. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I know I sent you the PDF. What do you guys think of it when you got, if you got the breeze through it? Packed full of a lot of information, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's some really good stuff in there. Yeah, if you're running Greyhawk, you definitely want to look at it. And for those that actually have our podcast app, I'll include this PDF as a little addition 
for the uh, iPhone and Android app users. Yeah, this is a great addition to your World of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting. For those of you who like to run specialty priests, I'm raising my hand right here right now. <laughs> who doesn't mind if they're able to use edge weapons like a spear or a sword if their god allows it? Wobble just ball. saying. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Wimpy if you, but if you don't, you don't have to use it that way. But if anything, it's a fantastic reference. And I highly recommend at least to check it out for everybody out there. So, Yeah, you know, and one thing you did mention. Now, what was the name of that one uh, Arabic deity? You said Al-Akbar? Al-Akbar, yes. You know, that's interesting because <laughs> there is a module. Uh, I want to say it's in the B series, but I believe it's in the I series. Days of Al Akbar. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another module that is not listed as a Greyhawk module. But I'm just concerned. I wonder if it's the same thing. I'm just wondering. Might be. I don't know. Just just give you a heads up on that. When you brought that up, I said, I wonder if that module's any any relation to it. But when we say Days of Al Akbar, that's what I thought. Oh, Al Akbar. Okay. Al Akbar, sorry. (laughs) Al Akbar? It's It's a a trap! Yeah. That's why I'm saying that. Okay. You can't repel force of that magnitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's oh, not wow. a moon. <laughs> it's a space <laughs> station. Now we've drifted. As we're there stealing we the gimmick of the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I want I just remember the one day, you know, however I stumbled upon that Bates thing. It's a great reference. And um, so that'll, I guess we'll end my segment here on game mechanics and we'll go on to the next segment, which is our creature feature theater. That is not 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 And with strange ears, even death may die. The Creature Feature Theater this week, we have the Wimic. Okay, enough of that voice. The Wimic. <laughs> Turn to Monster Manual 2, page uh, 126, I believe. Yes, 126. The Wimix. A large lion senator that roam the temperature grasslands and and hunt for antelope. Pretty much they're neutral creatures, and they're really bad, bad creatures as far as what they look like. Yeah. Look at the picture alone. They're scary. But, mm-hmm. they're, but they're harmless. They're just there. They're kind of just like, you know, we want to live. Mostly harmless. Yeah. They're neutral creatures. They're just like, yeah, we want to live. We want to hunt. You know, just leave us alone. I mean, they're, they usually travel in packs, but you can find one or two going out hunting on their own. They usually use uh, like a bow and arrow or maybe a spear. They do have two attacks because of the claw and the weapons. Oh, three attacks, two claws and a weapon. And they're only surprised on a one. So... These creatures you could throw in your campaign, and you could throw your players off because they look like they're coming to attack you, but they're not. They're actually just kind of hunting, you know. They could even help you because they do speak common. Yes, maybe, they do. You, maybe you, your party can go up to them if they figure out that they're good or not really trying to harm them. They can talk to them and say, have you seen such and such? And maybe they'll help them out depending on what's going on with the situation. If they don't like people at the time, they'll just ignore them. Mm-hmm. Chase them away. Yeah. Have you, you, yeah, this is... 
Yeah, this is a nice creature for the party that likes to kill first and ask questions later because it they don't want to just rush. They don't have to rush in and kill these. Right. So, and just imagine if you had like a pride of these coming at oh. you. It would be a little ugly. Yeah, it could be. So that would teach them a good lesson. They do have um, what they have what shamans too, depending on how many is in their tribe, right? Yeah. And they could jump really far. Yeah. Thirty. So they could. Be- they can be very good allies, if needed. I always kind of think of like adventure seats where you can have, you know, these these Wemmicks. And I was just thinking of like you would find. <laughs> I'm just thinking the adventure party. They're going across some savanna area and they see just that kind of the top halves above the grass. Like, oh, there's some native peoples over there. Like, then they get it closer. Like, oh, wait a minute, what are those? <laughs> They're like half lion, half human things. They're crazy centaur things. And I've got tons of these in the Greyhawk adventure, roaming the lands just out there. Yeah, oh, I kind of picture these if if they're like in the world of Greyhawk fantasy campaigns and kind of tying into everything else. I imagine these kinds of things like right around maybe the Sea of Dust, maybe the southern the southeastern fringes of of the continent there you know they're like nomads yeah kind of nomadic i i picture them in the 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 jungle savanna areas to the south okay you know hemp monoland i think it's called hemp monoland yeah in that area i i could picture them there definitely well i do know for a fact that uh the wemmicks are uh they are a playable uh humanoid race in the complete humanoids guide for second edition yep they sure are yep i know that they're they're interesting i, I would use these more like just like you mentioned before as more of a ally that you could run into maybe there's a, a big threat in their area and they come across you and you know you need to aid them or something but uh they can make some terrifying foes i can picture these like in a, like a lost world kind of thing like what we're doing with uh the uh isle of dread yeah, uh-huh. I can picture them being like one of the uh, the uh, one of the races that lives on the on the island, and you can come aid them. Maybe the maybe their their village is being terrorized by a Tyrannosaurus, and you're going to help aid the the Wemmick pride in taking down this T Rex or something like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a pretty cool adventure. See, you take it down, you know they're going to make you part of the tribe then. That's kind of happened with the previous party. They they took down a mastodon. They helped out, and they became kind of part of the tribe there. <laughs> I can also see this in like a king having him on this high council in this kingdom as advisors to the land. Oh yeah, kind of use them like uh, like as uh, scouts, I guess, and have them oh, sit, yeah. sit there to council to make decisions of the land, and the king asks them for advice, and you know something like that. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe they have a uh, conflict with the centaur population and they share an area, and you all have to try and get them to work together. Yeah. They, they each other. Or I was just... trying to figure out how they would like be with centaurs. Ooh. Or, or you can say that they're neutral, but since they don't like the kingdom or the land or people that moved in, they're attacking randomly to try to push them back. And they're, all they're trying wow. to do is push them back so they get off their land and stop building we're like kind of like a Native American versus the Pilgrims thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they might ally, and they might not care who they ally with because they're in neutral alignment. They might ally with maybe an evil, you know, a uh, person or something like that. They yeah. just maybe that person like 
you know, maybe some like wizard who's very powerful said, I, if you, uh, you know, serve me, I will make sure that no one treads in your lands. And they said, okay, maybe yeah. that could be another type of a plot twist right there. Good thing about being neutral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Can go either way yeah. there. Yeah, now being that, you know, these are monster mango too, a monster and everything. And, you know, this is just a thought, you know, some people don't like to give, you know, certain monster classes. Being that they're neutral alignment, I wouldn't be surprised that if there was actually some druid like characters within there, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I would, I would, yeah. I think without a doubt, not just, be, you know, beyond the shamans or the witch doctors, I could see druids being a part of these uh, peoples. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, tell us what you think. Write in in our staff at gmail.com. We'll head into our last segment. As the secret portal yields to your efforts, you stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the Dragon's Horde. And now we go to the Dragon's Horde, where we're not going to talk about a specific item. No, we're going to actually talk about designing items, specifically weapons with pluses. Because how... Yeah, because, I mean, how many times do you have your adventurers, they'll come across and you roll some on the random table and they get, like, a plus one sword or a plus two dagger or something. It's... Yeah, it's nice. It's magic. You have the ability to damage creatures that are only affected by magic items and they get the blown bonuses to hit and damage, but really, why is, does that exist? I mean, there's, it's otherwise it's just numeric game bonuses mm-hmm. because someone had to take the time to make it. Because as we, you can see the DMG, how long it takes to construct a magic item. Someone felt the need to spend that much time to make that given item. So why should it just be a throwaway item in your world? No, I mean so. I was doing some research through dragons, and they had an article on just giving blades a personality out of a dragon 109 on page 52. And it talks about maybe giving your magic items a little bit of a back history. Not not necessarily like a personality or making it an intelligent sword, but just a little more on why does this magic item exist? Mm -hmm. Why did someone take the great effort? Maybe this sword belonged to like the Duke of a Long Lost Land. And he died when trying to trudge through this dungeon so many <laughs> centuries ago. I, I mean, there's just all sorts of things you can do to just give the weapons and magic items a little more flavor. And you can even spin off into other stories. Maybe they, you come across, like, make an intelligent weapon where someone was felled in battle and their spirit became imbued in their, like, magical sword. <laughs> and now you need to free them mm-hmm. from it. Or, because in that article, <laughs> the Blades of Personality, there's only, it talks about the three different ways personalities get imbued in swords, and it's uh, the personality of the sword could be the personality of a person or a being who was slain in order to uh, give the sword a personality, because you have to sacrifice someone to give it a personality. Right. Or maybe some a magic user used a wish spell to give it intelligence. Or 
perhaps it was just random chance because creating magic items isn't always an exact science. Things can go wrong. So maybe it developed its personality on its own. Oh, yeah, I've done that as a player. <laughs> I told it in the past, like the god Caracas, when my, my, my character found a ring and it had Caracas on it. And so my character just thought it was a magical trigger word. So everywhere he went, <laughs> he kept pulling the ring up going, Caracas! Nothing would happen. <laughs> just like one day he's like, I, can't. I go to the DM, I go, I concentrate really, really hard. This was like the 900th time in the game I've done this. Caracas, please help me. And so he rolled and he decided that with this low roll that Caracas, the god of mischief, was going to be born. Oh my gosh. And then Caracas actually made like this like structure fall down and kill all the bad guys that were coming after us. And since that one campaign, Caracas became a god in every one of our campaigns that was like, if you tried to contact him, he would be like, sorry, Caracas is not in right now. Please leave a message. Or he'd (laughs) he'd do things that you didn't want him to do. Oh my goodness. That's how a way of a player making a god that the DM didn't want, and then the DM's just going to start using it to screw with the player, so. (laughs) Wow. Now, I don't know if it's like, it's like when you could just take a a sword plus one and give it just a little bit of history, you know? Well, yeah. So it's not just a plus one sword anymore. Now, it's like, it's now it's the uh, sword that was used by a particular warrior um, on the uh, frontiers of, of a kingdom who fought back a horde of hobgoblins in a mighty battle a hundred years ago. And this sword slow the hobgoblin leader, and uh, its blade is uh, is a interesting blue hue to it, and uh, it struck fear into the the, the hearts of hobgoblins. Maybe if you etched into the side of the blade, what happened? Right, some some sort of runes. I mean, given that a history for a plus one sword, and I just came up with that just on the fly. <laughs> Which any DM could do. Yes. Any any DM worth his metal could do that sort of thing. Yeah, it makes it much more special. Yeah, and then you could even spin off quests and adventures based off that sword. Maybe mm-hmm. you're going through ta- like a you're traveling, you come across this sword that it where you found it, it's just a plus one sword, but then you go to the specific area and people start recognizing the sword as this the special sword of the long lost king and now all of a sudden you're a bit of a celebrity because you've been chosen and you have brought it back. Or maybe you're in a bit of trouble too. Yeah, be like you <laughs> stole this sword. You need to return uh-huh. it. You took my father's sword. Exactly. <laughs> you killed my people. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about like the silver blade of Wilhelm. Battlefield, the horde, the stop left. They held back the demons at bay and like recognized the hilt of the sword because of its glow or something. Oh, there you go. I also like to do in in, in my uh, my games not just swords that might. Now we we're talking like intelligent weapons, it not just be. intelligent swords. Why not an intelligent battle axe? Right. Ooh. Or an intelligent uh, mace. I had one campaign a few years ago. <laughs> they stumbled upon an intelligent. I think it was a plus two or plus three uh, footman's mace. And the mace talked like this. He was just, you know, a real cranky guy. 
he was inside the this maze. Is like, well, we're gonna bash them heads again. I just hate doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and he hated using it, but it was like it was a plus three footman's mace. It was the only good weapon he had against like undead. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, things like that are really cool too. Even if yeah. it's a semi powerful weapon like a like that plus three footman's mace, if you make it intelligent. You know, give it a really quirky personality. <laughs> well, there's quite a few out there and everything. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, whether they're magical weapons with a history or intelligent weapons, and uh, there's two things that I can relate to. One is White Plume Mountain with those yeah. three weapons in there. Yeah, a Black Razor and Whelm. Then the Wave. And, wave. and I think the wa- one of them was a Warhammer, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, one one, I, I think it was Whelm. Is the yeah, Warhammer. One of them was a Warhammer. The other one, I think it was a Trident, and the other one, of course, was a Sword. Waves the Trident and Black Razor, which is the, you know, Stormbringer version. Oh, the clone? Yeah. <laughs> Storm, Stormbringer. But the other thing that I thought was interesting, I know there was an article in Dragon Magazine, and this is back in the day now, uh, that covered those uh, 12 magical swords, and each of them had a special ability, like that... Uh, I can't remember one town guard, and they all had their special names and everything. And, and the wielder of that sword, you know, gained a special ability, but they had a long history of them. And I don't know which article that was in, in Dragon Magazine, but do you all remember those? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's been a while since I, I read though, but there's like 12 swords or nine swords, they all had a special name. And they all had uh, special abilities that, you know, a, a character would get if they wielded that sword. But then again, you know, I, I was not really a big fan of talking swords. Well, when we talk about pluses, what about negatives? I mean, someone had to make a cursed sword negative two for some reason. Right. Of course, you got the, the, that spear, that minus, uh, spear minus two, cursed backfighter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the sword was used for some great evil and negative energy got imbued with it. I mean, or, per, I mean, yeah. It was used for evil, and then, as out of revenge, they trapped the, the guy's soul and, or ego inside the sword, and he's going to drive whoever uses this crazy because he's in there just trying, constantly chatting on with you. Yeah, I always thought, like, when you talk intelligent weapons, the, the intelligent weapons, they were not, like, just created spontaneously with a soul. That soul came from somewhere. Yeah. They, they were like the souls of people. That's... Yeah. I, I think that's what happened to him. So right, I could that's, even, that's how I play it. I could even see maybe uh, like a cleric coming across one of these intelligent weapons with a soul stuck in it and feeling the need to free it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're un, some some souls unwillingly trapped, especially if they it was one imbued through a sacrifice, unwillingly trapped in this weapon. And now the oh, question wait is, a minute, but the cleric can't you know free it because it's an edged weapon. He can't. Yes, that's correct. He Apparently, can't. he can't just even touch the thing. He be because it's wrong. Is in hell. No. So there. So there. Oh, yeah. Last bullet here. Uh, it's important, and I know a lot of DMs vary on this. Giving it away, or should players earn it? And giving it away is just, oh, here's a plus one sword to start the game. No, 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 That's an alien concept. The only way I could even see doing that is if there was a very specific reason it had to happen for my game. If I knew they were going... There was actually an article in 
Dragon, Magic for Beginners and Dragon 149, page 14, where they talked about giving magic items to low-level characters, like giving a magic item to a first-level character, but tweaking it a little. Maybe it's a plus-one sword, but it has charges. Yeah. So you have to turn it off and on. Or maybe it's a magical sword, but it gives no bonuses, so if they come across something only damaged by magical weapons, they can damage it, but they don't get all the other bonuses outside of it. They become far; it becomes far more circumstantial in its uh, abilities. Maybe but it's a magical ring of Captain Planet. Yes, Captain Planet. No, <laughs> he's our hero. No, he's not. <laughs> you know, that's a good point, though, and uh, you know, and, and and I like that part about you know giving a fir- a first level character a weapon that might be magical in nature, but the power of the weapon does not get you know, greater un- as, uh, until the character levels. As the character levels, then, you know, he becomes more attuned to the sword, and then more of the sword's internal properties become known to the character. You know, like a family heirloom. Yeah, here, well, here's a sword that's passed down to you by your grandfather. Well, guess what? A second level becomes plus one. Uh, at third level, maybe something else happens. But, you know, however you want to stagger it out. So that's another way where you can introduce a magical weapon into the game without giving it an automatic plus one. As the character levels, the sword becomes more powerful. Yeah. Well, I, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm do that. not like I don't do that. Well, that's okay then. We'll just give you the Dimilich head from the Tomb of Horrors. You can affix it to that mace so your cleric can use that. Every time he strikes someone, it sucks their soul out. No, we'll just give him the head of Vecna. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm sorry. I just don't like to just give away magic items at first levels. Like you're not no. giving them away. They have to earn the. Uh, you know, they have to earn it. They have to kill things and take yeah. their stuff. Do they have to kill things to get a magical weapon? I think they should be. Maybe, maybe not. They can <laughs> steal it. They can find it, but they're not just going to start their character with like a plus one sword. I know Will and I had this big debate on the forums with a bunch of other people who were like, whoa, the players should easily get magical weapons, and we were both like, whoa, they have to earn it. Yeah, the, I, I'm a firm believer that everyone has to earn something. To me, a plus one sword ain't much. Oh, no, no. it's not. But the, the point is, they shouldn't just start play with something like that. You want well, to? it, it varies. Go play 4th edition if you want to start with magical powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might as well start making them fly and shoot edition. laser That's beams out of their you don't, you don't want to give those guys that play 4th edition a hard time. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, Where I do. <laughs> on paper. <laughs> All right. Tell us what you think about magical weapons, designing them, getting pluses, minuses, and do you give them away real easily make the players earn it? I think that's going to put a wrap on the show. What do you guys I think? think you're right. This is a good show. Boy, actually, yeah. full of information there for everybody. And uh, this is dedicated. I forgot what his name was on Facebook that said we didn't do a good job with the last Greyhawk show. I hope this did a lot better for him. We'll title this uh, Revisit the Greyhawk, Matt. There you go. Yeah, and you know what? If you really didn't like it, just be specific, and then we'll cover those things that we didn't get to cover today. Exactly. With another Revisit to Greyhawk. No, 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 no. no. Revisit to Greyhawk to Electric Boogaloo? No. (laughs) Oh, now you must die. <laughs> like Ken, all Ken was one tired, right? I gave you. Sorry. All right, cool. So uh, keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Keep blunt weapons. <laughs> <laughs>
even in Greyhawk. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Roll for initiative.